Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. Senior writer for Newsweek magazine who covers culture. He's also written for the Atlantic, Rolling Stone, the AV Club, and other publications. He's a Brooklynite. He once appeared on our show before when he was in college to talk about his research project on presidential historic sites. And now he's a senior writer for Newsweek. He covers culture. More than a pleasure to have back on the show, Zach Schoenfeld. Zach, good afternoon. Welcome and welcome back. Thank you for having me. Uh, good to have you with us, uh, Zach. Yeah, you uh, wrote um, a piece entitled "We." Uh, a, couple, a number of pieces we're going to talk about. The first of which we're going to talk about is entitled "We Tracked Down Newsweek Readers Who Predicted Trump's Presidential Campaign in 1987." And this was the fall of 1987 specifically. Uh, Newsweek back then took a break to, um, you know, get away from covering the primaries of 1988. And they put Donald Trump, who was 41 on, at the time, uh, on uh, the cover. Um, and they did a profile of him. Uh, talk to us about this, why Newsweek did this back in 1987, and what readers back then would have read about this guy and, and would have found, including this prediction. Right. Well, this, this was one of the very first major magazine profiles of Donald Trump. Um, at, at the time, he he was... You know, he he'd recently become a billionaire. He he, he was um, he was only 41. He, he and his name was still pretty new to most Americans. Um, you know, who weren't um, a part of his inner circle or part of the real estate industry. And um, what I, what I found interesting about the article is that it, Donald Trump actually talks about the possibility of running for president um, in this article in 1987. And what he says is, I'm not running for president, but if I did, I'd win. There, I said it. This, this was 30 years ago. Um, this, this was long before um, Trump's you know, candidacy became a viable thing that we're all dealing with. And um, I, I was surprised to find a trove of letters in, in an old issue of Newsweek from the fall of 1987 from readers that were actually responding to this idea of Donald Trump running for president, both positively and negatively. Um, this is something that he said off the cuff, maybe jokingly at the time, or maybe not. Maybe it was part of his master plan or maybe just in line with the kind of ego that this guy has. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that it's a joke. You know, reading back, it, he, this was the kind of thing that he would say um, in interviews. And, and you know, he, he obviously his ego remains much the same three decades later. Yeah, no question uh, about that. Um, mm-hmm. it, this was 29 years ago. He was not modest then. He's not uh, modest now. 
like you said, he did say, but if I did, I'd win. That's obviously his mindset there. And even then mm-hmm. he said, quote, there's no one my age who has accomplished more. Uh, so the bravado and the bragging uh, that he has now, he once had then. And maybe that's what, much like Bernie Sanders, what you see is what you get on the left, who has been consistently who he is and preaching about what he's passionate about. I mean, although I don't like the guy, what appeals to people about Donald Trump perhaps is that this is that guy, and this is a guy that they have seen for the better part of th- three decades since this piece was written, right? I, yeah, I, I think I think you have a good point there. I think that people tend to like, you know, figures who are consistent, you know, who, who choose a message and stick with it, and, you know, you know who they are and you know what they stand for. Well, at the time, of course, people weren't, you know, tweeting or emailing, and they were writing letters. Right. How, 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 how was the question received um, by the readers of Newsweek with uh, the question? I know that one reader said, how about Donald Trump for president? Um, but a lot of people wrote in about his comment, right? What were some of the comments and some of the reaction of readers back then? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there was one that was positive. There, there was one reader who wrote, I appreciated the success story of Donald Trump. Um, if only our tax dollars could be managed like his billion-dollar empire. How about Donald Trump for president? And um, this was from a woman in Nebraska, and I found that interesting because his supporters still use that same um, that that same kind of language. You know, talking about how Donald Trump, in their view, knows how to run a business, and our country needs to be run like a business. The rest of the letters were not so excited about the idea of Trump running for president. Um, I thought. The most memorable one was from this guy who at the time was in law school. Um, now he's a lawyer. And he wrote, a leader must be giving and caring. Considering the long list of slick, thoughtless, for-profit-only deals he has perpetrated, it becomes glaringly clear that the only person Trump has ever cared about is Trump. God forbid that our society would ever put such a man in the White House. And these are some of the letters that were published uh, back in 87 on October 19th under that Trump for president. uh, That's right. And I contacted these people um, all these years later in 2016 and um, asked them if their views had changed. Um, And and this guy, who's now a lawyer, he he stands by it. He's he's horrified that Trump, that voters have, you know, embraced Trump as much as they have in the primary season. Did you ask that lawyer who commented how horrific, God forbid, he was starting his sentence or, you know, in part of his sentence said back then, mm-hmm. and he maintains that now, did he have any idea that this off-the-cuff remark by him would become a reality uh, so many years later? Not that he had a I crystal don't... ball. I mean, did he believe this was really possible back then when he was asked that question? No. I mean, he told me that he didn't. I, I think it was <clears throat> the the idea of Trump... I mean, the idea of Trump being the Republican nominee was unthinkable even a year ago, um, even in 2015, when, when Trump declared his his candidacy. So I, I can't imagine how unthinkable it would have been in, in 1987. How about anybody else that you con- contacted uh, from back then now? What's the reaction been? Um, well, there was, there was one reader, um, Stephen Sabaroff, who wrote to us either – he wrote, either your article wasn't well-rounded or Donald Trump isn't well-rounded. Where are the parts that describe him as a good father or charitable or religious? Um, this guy actually has had um, a bit of a career himself in, in the political eye. He, he um, 
is in charge of, of the Los Angeles Police Department. He Hold that thought. The, Hold that thought. We gotta take a quick break and when we come back, Zach, we'll continue talking about that guy in the LAPD. Um, also want to talk about a woman in Nebraska um, who seemed to like the idea, if you're able to get in touch with her. I think you said she's a program assistant for the Central Nebraska Council on Alcoholism and Addictions. We'll be back with our guest, and we'll be back with you right after this. Don't go away. Zach Schoenfeld, a senior writer for Newsweek who covers culture, is our guest. Zach, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Talking about, in 1987, Newsweek magazine took a break from covering the 1988 primaries. They put a guy in the cover named Donald Trump. He was 41 years of age, 29 years ago, and uh, he was known as America's brash billionaire. And he told uh, Newsweek, I'm not running for president, but if I did, I'd win. Well, Zach tracked down some of the people who wrote letters for and against Trump. And before the break, Zach, you were telling us about somebody who's in the LAPD. What did he say then? What does he say now? Right. So um, one, one of our readers who wrote in was this man named Stephen Sabaroff. Um, he wrote to us, either your article wasn't well-rounded or Donald Trump isn't well-rounded. Where are the parts that describe him as a good father or charitable or religious? Um, this guy went on to become the president of the Los Angeles Board of Police Commissioners, and he also ran for mayor of Los Angeles in, I think, 2001. He lost, but... Um, he has been a Republican for for most of his life. He told me, but he um, he despised Trump at the time that he read that article in 1987, and he he still despises Trump today. Um, he can't imagine ever voting for the guy. And um, what he what he told me was, I've been a Republican for 50 years, but I'm ashamed now of what the party has done to itself. If he becomes a nominee, I will not only vote for Hillary, but I have a new car and I'll put a Hillary bumper sticker on it. Oh and I don't God. like to do that because it damages the paint. Wow. Interesting. <clears throat> I hope as a Hillary supporter myself, there are more of those. Tell us about Louise Dexter. Let me read what she said years ago, <clears throat> almost three decades. I appreciated the success story of Donald Trump. He sounds like a well-organized, ambitious, innovative businessman who's on the ball, always seeking out profitable business opportunities and willing to take chances while making wise choices. You had mentioned this before the break also. If only our mm-hmm. tax dollars could be managed like his billion-dollar empire, how about Donald Trump for president? Uh, that uh, was Louise Dexter. Now you've interviewed her. She's a program assistant for the Central Nebraska Council on Alcoholism and Addictions, correct? That's right. What's her, what, uh, what's her, what's her plan? She's still positive about him, would still vote for him, so says your interview, right? Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she, to her credit, she hasn't really changed her tune that much. She was about 30 years ahead of, of you know, the pro-Trump movement. Um, and she, she told me that she's a little bit hesitant because she feels like he talks before he thinks sometimes. But at the end of the day, she... You she think? <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of stating the obvious, but um, she does think that he is the best candidate there is, and she does um, plan on voting for him. So that letter accurately predicted her vote about 29 years ahead of time. Really sad, too. They had a thing with fact check and PolitiFact that uh, 91% of what Donald Trump says is not fact. It's, uh, a, you know, lies. Sad, sad, mm-hmm. sad. Uh, that Sounds Amer- about right. Yeah, that America. Now, did we miss anybody? You talked to us about Robert Crook, who, uh, who is the uh, attorney. And um, um, how about the uh, communications director at a college in Virginia, Joelle uh, Zimian? Uh, did you already talk about her? I'm confusing all the names. 
No, I haven't spoken about her yet. Let's talk. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about her, and let's read what she said back then. She was in D.C. then. She's now in Virginia, not too far. She said Donald Trump is certainly not the first to find fame through riches in America, nor will he be the last. We can only hope that he has enough depth and farsightedness to leave behind the kind of gifts the Guggenheims, Rockefellers, Fords, Mellons, and Carnegies have left for society. I truly sad it will be if Trump's only legacy turns out to be a pair of casinos and a lot of tall buildings. And now, she stands by it. Um, I mean, I, I thought it was funny that she wrote how sad it will be if Trump's only legacy turns out to be a pair of casinos. And her reaction to reading that 30 years later was, if only that were his only legacy. Um, she, her letter focuses a lot on his um, history of, of, you know, charitable donations or lack thereof and, and, and the way that he uses his vast fortune um you know she 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 sees that as a glimpse of his character and and the fact that he hasn't made a point of you know putting his fortune to the betterment of society says something about his his character and and his sense of self let's talk about one of your other pieces um entitled for election 2006 70 is the new 45 we talking about the candidates like hillary and donald and even bernie right now um or are we talking about the voters or both for those that haven't yet read your piece well i was i was focusing on the candidates um and i I get we're at the point now where both parties have a presumptive nominee um you know Trump on the Republican side and, and Clinton on the Democratic side. And, and what's interesting about this election is that they are both two of the oldest candidates ever to um, ever to win a major party nomination for president. And, and they and they would be two, two of the. So 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 people understand Trump. So people understand Trump's sixty nine. He would be the oldest first term president in the history of our presidents in the history of America. Correct. That's correct. He'll be seventy by the time of of the ele- by the time of the election in November. And Hillary Clinton will be 69 by the time of the election. Not to mention she would also be if uh, elected uh, the, the first uh, female. Uh, Bernie Sanders, if he were to become the of nominee, course. although I don't think it'll happen, but if he were Senator Sanders were to become the nominee and the president, he's 74, um, so he would be uh, obviously uh, the oldest. That's correct. He, he will be 75 by the time of Election Day. And, I mean, if, if he were elected president and, you know, hypothetically he were elected to a second term, then he would be serving as president well into his 80s, which is not something that we've ever had before. And also, have we ever had two people, say it is Trump and Clinton, which it seems likely that it will be, of this age or average of ages um, even competing against each other for uh, the presidency? No, th- th- this is these are the two... In terms of their average, these are the two oldest candidates that we've ever had. Um, I mean, we've had some old presidential candidates before. We had um, Bob Dole was in his early 70s when he ran for president in 1996, but um, that was kind of balanced out by his his opponent was Bill Clinton, who was still in his 40s at the time. So we, we've never had two candidates, both of an both well past retirement age, running against each other in a general election before. Well, you interviewed somebody for your piece called Douglas Brinkley, a presidential historian and author who does say, I think, 70 is the new 55. And he talks about how people used to retire at 65. That's kind of out the window. Um, And uh, we live longer and we're Mm -hmm. much more active uh, later in life. And the majority of our population or a large part of our population is headed toward those senior years because of the baby boomer years. So... It's it's not that surprising in 2016 with the demographics of our nation and how long we're living and the ability to remain healthy longer and work longer that two people 
who are just about 70 years of age and would be 70 in their first year of presidency are running. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a very new <clears throat> thing. It, it's very new. It's interesting. Barack Obama was or is the first president born in the second half of, of the 20th century, the, the first president we've had born after 1950. And, um, and then now we're going right back to um, – but both Clinton and Trump were born in the 40s, so we're going right back to presidential candidates who were born in the first half of the century. And these people appear to be in good health, right? I mean, you know, that's mm-hmm. uh, it's obviously, I mean, this, this is a stressful job. Campaigning, mm-hmm. I think, is just as if not more stressful than being president, right? Right. I, I, spoke, I quoted a presidential aging expert in my article who um, says that the, the campaign itself is a quote, a really incredible cardiovascular stress test. <laughs> if, you can hand, if you can handle campaigning for months on end, if you can, you know, handle the lack of sleep and, and the high stress level that that entails, then, then you must be in extraordinary health and you must have a lot of energy. And you know what, Senator Sanders, who's, Senator Sanders is older than both uh, Hillary and Donald, uh, has the majority of the youth out there supporting him. So obviously, young people are able to look past age everyone else should be and you also mentioned Mm -hmm. your article interestingly enough if hillary is president she would be one of our oldest presidents married to our third youngest (laughs) that's right there's a very interesting contrast between bill and hillary bill bill was one of the youngest presidents we've ever elected and now 20 something years later hillary is running to be one of the oldest interesting let's talk about another piece you wrote i live in los angeles hollywood has a lot of money, and celebrities may not have, I don't. Th- I personally don't think, and I don't think there's really any research that shows otherwise, that celebrities have a lot of impact on who somebody votes for, but they're good for TV ads. And we definitely have seen various celebrities talking about why they support, who they support. So let's talk about Donald Trump. Your piece talks about 14 celebrities who explain why they support Donald Trump or why they don't. Susan Sarandon is a huge Bernie Sanders supporter. That's I'm not surprised she's to the left of left as a liberal goes. I am kind of surprised, being a very staunch feminist, that she wouldn't be more Hillary. But she's definitely an anti-establishment person, always has been politically. Uh, so mm-hmm. that I understand. But she actually said, and I was I was shocked at this, and I actually lost some respect for her. And I think she's an incredible woman actress and an activist. But she suggested that she would actually vote for Donald Trump over. Hillary Clinton. And like I said, she is an avid Bernie Sanders uh, supporter. She never said she'd support Trump. She suggested it. So let, let's talk but about it, her I'm not first. sure that she – did she ever say that she would actually vote for Trump or – Well, sure there, was a, there, there was that media firestorm because she suggested it. Mm-hmm. I think she said that a Trump presidency might be – She said she would have a – thank you, Mark. She said she would have a tough time deciding between the two. Right, right, Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, let, let, you know, let's uh, talk about this. We'll start with Susan uh, uh, Sarandon. Um, there mm-hmm. are different celebrities that have said they'd back him and, you know, celebrities that said, you know, they wouldn't. Now, she hasn't f- formally said that she would, you know, back him. But we definitely have a lot of people in Hillary's camp. So let's talk about Donald. Stephen Baldwin, who is the brother of Alec Baldwin and the other Baldwins, I think there's four or five brothers. Um, he said, quote, the first policy of his that I favor is this guy is going to take a stand when it comes to the BS of the PC, the political correctness. Is it surprising to hear an actor talk like that? Because, you know, a lot of times these people 
their livelihood is based on political correctness of the time. Do you know what I mean? They have to fit into a certain mm-hmm. mold to be cast in a certain role. Definitely. I mean, it, it, it is surprising. I mean, certainly, Hollywood, I mean, tend, tends to be a left-leaning um, Hollywood tends to, to lean to the left, and it was really surprising to, to speak to these celebrities who've, who've come out openly in favor of Trump. Um, Stephen Baldwin was interesting because he, he is Alec Baldwin's brother. Alec Baldwin is, is quite liberal. Stephen Baldwin is not. Um, and, and Stephen Baldwin wasn't aware of, of the fact that Donald Trump has, has um, proposed to ban Muslims from entering our country. Stephen Baldwin didn't seem to realize that that is, in fact, a, a policy that Donald Trump has put forward, and I had to explain it to him. You, you know, I um, I met him. I was on the set of, um, before I signed my contract with Fox News Channel years ago, I was on the uh, couple of the last shows of Larry King, Larry King Live on CNN, and Stephen Baldwin and I uh, were on a panel along with, uh, is it Penn from Penn & Teller, the one with the ponytail? And um, Steve, he was a very, very nice guy. And we talked off the air, and Larry was talking to him. He's also a Christian, a staunch Christian. And I really, as a former Christian myself, I find it hard for Christians to embrace, embrace Donald Trump, not just because of his lifestyle, but also because of his comments, which I find so contrary to Christianity, or at least to the teachings of Christ. Right. Um, he, he told me an interesting story about how he um, he was at some kind of Christian retreat, and um, one, one of the other people there, you know, jokingly said, oh, well, I will pray for you um, for supporting Trump. And, and Stephen Baldwin's response was, you know, Trump is the only Republican candidate who can win. This is something that I heard from a lot of the the celebrities that I spoke to is that they don't like everything that he says. They don't like everything about his character, but, you know, they are Republicans and and they want a Republican in the White House. and, and, And they've come to believe that Trump is the only one who can who can win the election. And, it, and they're willing to compromise on anything and everything to get to that point. No, I don't know if you talked about this because, you know, I know there is not everything mentioned in your interview. But my understanding, and there are a few of the Baldwin brothers, but I thought Stephen was married to or at least used to be married to a Brazilian and had at least one child with that woman. And I say that because although Brazil, they do speak Portuguese, they're South American, and they do consider themselves part of the Latino and Hispanic population. And I say that because of the very negative things that Donald Trump has said um, about Hispanics. I know he said Mexico didn't send us their best, but I know many Hispanics from other Latin nations, not Mexico, um, who were offended Mm -hmm. by those remarks and felt grouped in that umbrella of Hispanics or Latinos. Uh, So that was another thing when I I saw his name in your article that I was surprised at, because I do believe his current or former wife is Brazilian and that one of his children would be Hispanic or Latino at least half. I think I think you're correct about that and I, I didn't I didn't bring that up with him. But that that, that that's a very interesting point. Do, um, Aaron Carter is another one. Aaron Carter is a singer and pop star, for those that don't know him uh, very well. Uh, talk to us about what he said. And I'm also wondering, Zach, if you asked any of these people if they were concerned their careers might suffer. Aaron Carter, I think, has a reality show on TV with his wife right now, who, by the way, I, looks Hispanic to me on TV. I don't know what her name is, but uh, <laughs> when I've seen pictures of them together. Go ahead. Aaron Carter uh, tweeted in, I think it was March, that he planned to vote for Trump. And, and this set off a firestorm with, with his fans and with his followers on Twitter. Um, he, he told me that he got a lot of online harassment and abuse about this. 
When I when I spoke to him about his vote for Trump, I was startled by um, I, I was startled by how misinformed he was about certain aspects of of the election. He he, he claimed that Donald Trump um, used to support gay marriage, which was never in fact the case. And he he told me that Trump would voting for Trump was going to be his first vote. He's never voted in an election before. Um, and he told me that he was too young to vote for in any of the previous elections, which confused me because Aaron Carter is 28. <laughs> Obviously so a little confused at what age you vote. can vote. He would have been eligible to vote in at least um, two prior elections. Right. Ted, Ted Nugent, we all know. I think uh, he's certifiable. Um, Scott Bayo uh, is also another one, and uh, uh, Bayo, and uh, who follows me, by the way, or is my Facebook friend. And uh, Azalea Banks, is that how you say the first name? Um, is a rapper. Uh, Chingy, uh, Azalea, thank you. Chingy, is that how you say it? Chingy or Chingy? A rapper. Chingy. Pete Rose, I'm not surprised, very conservative. Tila Tequila, who's is, is Hispanic. <laughs> Jesse James, Kid Rock, I'm not surprised, always a supported conservative. John Voight, not surprised, although his daughter's Angelina Jolie. Gary Busey, not surprised. Busey, Loretta Lynn, Mike Tyson. Need I say more? Uh, anyway, Zach, thank you for being with us. You can read all of Zach's great writings at Newsweek.com. He's senior writer for Newsweek, covering culture. On Twitter, follow him at ZZZZAAAACCCCCHHH. And on Newsweek, you can follow them on Twitter at Newsweek.